Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Thursday, April 6th. Uh, I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Newcastle romp in London against West Ham. United are professional and dispatch Brentford. And Leeds get a much-needed win in their fight against relegation. But first, he is back. He is back at Chelsea. Mr. Frank Lampard, the chosen son, has returned to Chelsea Football Club. And we're going to get right into it. But first... Like, share, subscribe, like, share, subscribe. So I um, uh, want everyone to like, share, and subscribe. Please, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. If you are on your favorite podcast player, please follow or subscribe or whoever the, the terminology is, where you are, where where you want to be, so you can download the show and listen to it and enjoy it all the time. Okay, Frank Lampard has been named Chelsea manager uh, midweek. Um, on Tuesday, Chelsea played a nil-nil versus Liverpool uh, under Bruno, who was a former a great from Brighton. Had been under, had been a had played under Potter and then uh, managed the the team. And you know, it was a meh game. Uh, Liverpool did not really do much. They still looked very very weak. Uh, once again, Chelsea. XG the F out of Liverpool uh, with 2.2 and had chance after chance after chance. And the story of Liverpool, of of Chelsea, of course, is they can't score. And the story of Liverpool is, of course, they can't stop anyone. So Liverpool luckily did get a clean sheet. They did not deserve that clean sheet. Uh, Allison was the man of the match for Liverpool. And on any given day, if it had not been for Allison, Liverpool would have lost this game 2-0, 3-0, easy. Um, I have to say the big, the big, just the big chances here. I'm just gonna get through by XG against Kai Havertz on 12, has a six, a 0.61, a 50-50 chance, over 50% chance goal. He blows it on the pass from Kulabali. Of course, he blows it. Then um the next best, Havertz again has a almost 50 percent chance in the second half on 50 and there's a couple other ones a couple other chances here and there but it's Havertz who has two chances in on goal and yaks them both uh one is chopped off for a handball so there's actually a third one um but it is just an incredible thing that Havertz gets in on goal as often as he does and he is limp anyway that's the game side after the game uh within 24 hours of that, the rumors of Frank Lampard coming back to the team uh, come through. And there's a little bit of head scratching because Frank Lampard, frankly, is not a great manager. Um, Is he better than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Probably, but there's a lot of similarities in these two. So um, Frank Lampard, first job at Derby, inherited them in fourth, finished in sixth. Um, So there's that. Inherited... Chelsea, they finished third. He left when they were in sixth. Uh, Inherits um, Everton when they are in 17th. They finish in 18th, so or some 16th and finish in 19th or something like that. And so basically, Frank has never improved his teams. He's not very tactically sound. If you remember, if you were to go back and sort of 
go through some of the conversations we had around Frank Lampard. What he was was an, a, an attacking manager who could set up the team to defend, but if he set up the team to defend, it could not score. So he doesn't have a multi-dimension plan. He either can attack or he can defend. He cannot do both. He doesn't have a plan to allow his team to attack and then be solid on the way back. Um, if you remember his Chelsea time, it was always sort of, you know, a little bit bitty and a little bit not defensive, and he couldn't really quite get the team to 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 score and defend or defend and score. So his problems at Chelsea was that he was giving up too many goals uh, and didn't seem to understand that Antonio Rudiger was his best defender. Remember, he left him out. It's Tuchel who puts him in, and it's under Rudiger with Silva that the whole thing changes. Um, which is pretty fantastic and pretty weird. Um, how do you not see that Rudiger is a fantastic defender? He's so good that he's at Real Madrid. What are you doing? So Frank is not really a great viewer of veteran talent. He was good with young players. I will give him credit for Mason Mount. I will give him credit for Tammy Abraham, Tomori. He seemed to have a good understanding of how to get young players to play. And maybe that's, maybe they know who he is. Maybe he had some gravitas and he had a weird manner after games. It was like this half smile, half sad. Um, he, he understood it, but I don't think he's a great manager in any sense. However, however, the key thing now is he's the right manager for Chelsea right now in the context of where they are in this season, in this place. So why do I say that? What was happening with Chelsea was they were losing the fans. They were losing their connectivity to who they were. Uh, and I talked about it the last episode, and I've been sharing uh, some reels on Facebook, so you can find those there. They were losing connection to who they were, and Frank Lampard represents Chelsea through and through. He's, as Chelsea... He's Mr. Chelsea to uh, to Gerard's Chelsea, although he did play at other clubs. He's the highest scoring midfielder of all time, if you don't know who he is. And he represents the best of Chelsea, the defensive, the hard work, the working class ethos, but flash of London. So he ticks a lot of the boxes that Chelsea holds on to. And he's an embodiment of the club and its most successful period in the Abramovich era. Um and he's tough, and he uh, played hard. Now, like I said, I've already gone through that. He's not a great manager, but he's a good manager for Chelsea right now because what they need really is a PR enthuse, a PR kick that will allow the season to end and kind of just go through and get out of the sort of bad vibes that this season has and kind of go back to where they were. The thing that's so crazy about this process is two years ago, Frank Lampard was the manager of Chelsea. Chelsea, in the course of a year, have gone from Tuchel to Potter to Lampard. They're going down in quality of coach, to be fair. Uh, and they're now just right back where they started before, you know, after the transfer ban. They're literally, except now they have the weight of you know $700 million in players who I could make the argument that none of them are game breakers and game changers. I mean, Enzo Fernandez is a 
is a is a really good passing midfielder. He's a and he's the one who costs 80 million. And he's a player who, you know, he he does a job that is important and works. And you need more players to make the impact of that player. He's 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 Michael Carrick. He's not, you know, Zenedine Zidane. He's not going to change the fortune of your team. He makes a difference. And there's a lot of great players on Chelsea, but they're missing that key piece. Uh, and that is a goal scorer. And it just continues to happen again and again and again. Chelsea create opportunities and don't finish them. Um, in this game that they just played, it was an incredible amount of opportunities and they didn't finish them. As much as Manny thinks that I shit on Liverpool as a sport, and I do, anyone can admit this was a gut check performance for Liverpool and they're happy to get the draw out of this game. But the weird thing is, is Liverpool and Chelsea have played, I think, six or seven draws in a row. I don't think anyone scored a goal in one of these matchups. I'm going to look at it right now. I have this wonderful, I love Facebook ref, by the way. Uh, yes, the last four games have been nil-nil. That includes an FA Cup final and an EFL Cup final. So that was la both last year. So uh, four nil-nils, then a 2-2 draw and a 1-1 draw. The last game that saw a result in this game came from March in 2021, a 1-0 to Chelsea uh, at Anfield during the pandemic. So that's kind of a crazy stat that they are uh, in those two uh, areas. Uh, the all-time, eh, who cares about the all-time historic? Anyway, so... Frank Lampard back in the Premier League. Um, gonna see the team out for the last nine games of the year. A strange appointment that I think makes sense, and I think the Chelsea faithful will be okay with. At least he's one of their own. He's their Frank. He's their mistake. When he makes mistakes, they'll be like, okay, it's Frank Lampard. I know what he is. I know what he's gonna do. And they're just gonna do their thing and be happy with what they get. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, whatever what other folks think you know, please go on Facebook, let me know, Twitter, wherever you hear it, just let me know in the comments of 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 Apple and or or wherever you listen to your podcast so that we can uh, chat about it. But interesting stuff. I think Lampard is the right appointment for right now. And he better not do well, because if he wins the Champions League, <laughs> then they're going to have to keep him. And that's going to be a giant fucking shit show for Chelsea. But we did have... Um, one, two, three, four, five, six matchups during the midweek that I told you about on Monday during that Megatron hour-long show. But let's just go through the results and talk about them as we go. Normally, I kind of go through the scores, but we got through Frank, and now I'll just go through the scores. Uh, we'll talk about the great and powerful Aston Villa defeating Leicester with their new coach, uh, Adam Sadler, not Adam Sadler. That would be weird. Uh, Ollie Watkins continues his raging rampage. Uh, Aston Villa went up in this game. Then Harvey Barnes had a really nice goal uh, on the wing, fired it in. Then lost but not forgotten, Bertrand Traore. He cut his hair and he wasn't wearing his cool um, wristbands from his home country of uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, you know, he was wearing the red, gold, and green. Very very Jamaican style, but very African. Uh, he came on and got a wonder goal to to win the game after uh, Leicester had been down a man because Dewsbury Hall got himself a red card uh, for two yellows within a six-minute span. I think the story here is not so much 
this game because this game was, you know, just a regular kind of mid-table thing. It's the growth of Aston Villa during the season. Aston Villa, friends, are sit in seventh place this season. When Unai Emery took over this team, they were one game, one spot above the relegation zone. They are now in a European spot and pushing, pushing, pushing. They're getting very, very, very close. So very impressive stuff from Mr. Unai Emery. And if we can go back and have a look, I just want to make sure I know exactly where he took over. So it was a draw to Man United, to Manchester City. I think, where's the, I don't know where that loss is for that got, that got him fired. Anyway, whatever the case is, um, Aston Villa are on a one, two, three, four, five, six game unbeaten streak with a draw there with five wins, a uh, good quality wins. They're scoring goals. They're not giving up much. Um, you know, they, they, they've beaten Chelsea. They beat Leicester. Uh, they took care of business with Everton. They, they beat Crystal Palace. I mean, they don't have a lot of great wins, but they are climbing up the table and it just goes to show what a good coach is can do when you don't have a good coach in the premier league you are in trouble uh you need good coaching to win in the premier league especially now especially with how things are going it's just so difficult um with the level of these teams to try and win games with a hand behind your back with your team not having a plan with your team just not where it needs to be um, if I recall properly, I think, yeah, Unai Emery's first game was November 6th. Uh, they beat United 3-1 on a masterclass. Uh, these are these weird, uh, Leon Bailey and, and Ollie Watkins. So uh, that United game, they go 500. They got to win one, lose one, win one, lose, win. They have a good win against Tottenham. Um, lose in the FA Cup to Stevenage. That's probably the low point. He probably wouldn't have liked that. Then they have a little bit of a blip losing to Leicester City. Well, that's not too bad. They lost to Leicester in that 4-2 game. And then they had a dip against City and Arsenal, which is no big deal, you know, so that looks like bad where they lose three in a row. But it's you losing to City and Arsenal is not really a big deal, especially where those two teams are. But then they right the ship and go on a run and have climbed the table ever since. Just fantastic stuff from Unai Emery. Um, and he's a fit for that club. I think when I was talking about that cultural piece of like, Hey, is Unai Emery right for Arsenal? Are these managers right? He, Unai Emery suffers from that first impression when he took over Arsenal. His English was easy to make fun of. He's got that kind of look where he's got this kind of strange face and his hair is greased back and he, he looks a little bit odd and he would always say good evening. Um, and it, it just didn't work. I think especially because some of these clubs are, you know, mega international brands. The coach of the team, effectively, because of the way the Premier League is set up and the managers hold this higher super status, um, effectively, you're the spokesman, chairman of the board for the team. You're the CEO and coach of the team. So from a marketing perspective, I don't think Emery left Arsenal fans feeling good about who was in charge of their team. Um, and so it, it just sputtered a little bit. I mean, he won an FA Cup, no big deal. Uh, you know, 
but it just wasn't a cultural fit in that moment. And so at Aston Villa, I think it's the right size of a club. It's the right feeling the club and the supporters really su- appreciate him. They've been in a championship. They know what it means to have a hard time. They love Dean Smith. Uh, they, they, I don't think they ever took to Gerard. I think they saw Gerard as using their club as a stepping stone. And so he did not get a lot of rope to hang himself. Uh, I don't think Gerard's results were particularly bad. Um, you know, he, he didn't have to get fired. It just didn't seem to progress. It didn't seem to be working. It didn't feel right. And then that lack of connection with the fans made Gerard get pulled away. I think they sort of saw their club. Aston Villa fans are very smart. They know that Gerard was just like using Villa as a holding pattern to see if he could get to Liverpool. And Emery feels like the kind of guy who might stay at Aston Villa for a while. He fits the profile of your Villarreal's, your 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 spot where it makes sense. Like he could become a legend at Aston Villa if he chooses to sort of go, you know what? I've gone up to the mountain. I've gone to PSG. I've gone to Arsenal. Let me understand who I am and stay here at Aston Villa and try and win something. And I think he can. And I really like what he's done. And he'll he'll become a talking point as we go further into the season. He may he's putting his hat in the ring for you know at least a manager of the month of of March. Uh, I don't think he can be manager of the season. It's definitely going to be Arteta, who's had a great 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 season, uh, unbelievable season to be fair. Um, Brighton versus Bournemouth. This was just, you know, my guys from freaking Brighton and Hove Albion. I love Bournemouth. I love what Gary O'Neill's doing, but the Zerbi is just a legend. Uh, young Evan Ferguson with an amazing flicked back goal. Uh, you know, 18-year-old strikers who on a team that's an attacking thing for the for the Brighton heads, for the seagulls, as we call ourselves, for the gulls, for the gull heads. Uh, no, we don't, no one calls us that. Uh, the secret. Every team, every team, everyone loves. Um, what Deserby has done with this club from Potter, and this is where it gets interesting because if you look back at history, Potter's team were very much possession based, defend with the ball, but were goal shy. And what I think Deserby has done with this team, and it and it's his look too. He's got like this crazy haircut and a weird sort of manicured beard. He's got a little bit of a swag, a little bit of a, I wish Mike was here. We would have a banter about it. He's got a little bit of an Italian, hey, motherfuckers, I'm, I'm wearing designer jeans. Let's go score some fucking goals. And he gets mad and he's got yellow cards on the sideline and he's got some like, go get me some goals. And I think one of the things he did with the side was like, Sally March, I need you to score 10 goals. Matomo, I need you to score 10 goals. If you're Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck, you're not scoring 10 goals, but I need somebody up front. I mean, he empowered his team to say, hey, Mina, go score some goals. Like there's something about the Deserby thing. And then there's a plan, like the patterns of play, the Caicedo, the work rate of McAllister. It's just such a fucking good team. They're just incredible right now and bringing young players through. So in the 95th minute, we've had Gabriel Cesar and CISO scoring his first goal. Uh, we saw Levi Caldwell come in, you know, just a lot of good play or on the bench, at least um, just a lot of good players. And Dev, they're still trying to work him into the side. But Estupinian 
and and Caicedo, along with Gross, were just my men to the match. Uh, Jason Steele, who took over for Sanchez, had a goal uh, earlier in the week where he just fired it over the top, gotten a goal to keeper assist. I think that was during the week, but I might have missed it during my conversations. Anyway, I just adore Brighton. I mean, if again, I'm here to watch the game, so sometimes you don't have to. Maybe you're a Liverpool fan, maybe you're you're whatever, you're 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 a West Brom fan, you're a Wolves fan. This team is the team to watch. They are so fucking good. Like when you hear that Moises Caicedo is going to be worth 80 million pounds, that shit's real. He's really good. Like Liverpool, go look at Caicedo. He's what Wijnaldum used to be, except he's better, right? Because he can carry the ball. Just a great, great player, a great, great team. Uh, and then on the Bournemouth side, they just couldn't really get much going. They're just outclassed. They're not, they're, their job is not to get points against Brighton. Their job is to get points against other team. And they hung in. I mean, they really only gave up for a team as good as uh, Brighton. They really didn't give up too much. Uh, Solanke getting two shots on target, trying to help the team. Gary O'Neill, I like. Uh, I think I think I think if Bournemouth go down, which they likely will, um, they should keep O'Neill. I'm not a great judge of coaches. I just like him. He's got a good demeanor. This is his first job, and I think. I think that Bournemouth do show fight and they do win games that you're not that you're surprised about, but they're right in there and it will go through the table in a minute. Um, on to Leeds. Christian, cover your ears, my friend. Uh, Nottingham Forest. Lose away from home. 2-1. The great Jack Harrison uh, levels the score after Ariel Mangala scored a goal early. And then Luis Sinistera just before the half. This was one-way traffic, especially in the first half. It was all, all Leeds. Uh, sorry, after the goal, sorry. Leeds came out. So let me get this right. I just want to get the narrative correct. Uh, Nottingham Forest came out and showed fight and gets the goal from Mangala. But then they they back off and the rest of the half is all Leeds. They take the next 10 shots in a row and end up scoring Um End up end up scoring on their two on their two shots that go on goal from Jack Harrison and Sinistera, who cuts in and fires it in from his right foot. Uh Harrison from the left side at a left-footed goal. Uh that off a rebound from Mo Roca, and he's the one who's alive to it. And in the second half, only in the last five to only in the last 10 minutes does does Nottingham Forest get anything going. And they're really not great efforts. A couple of volleys that are just, you know, low quality low XG, not really great opportunities um, to score. But, you know, Leeds had most of the shots, most of the chances in the second half. 21 shots, six on target. You know, Nottingham Forest had 13 shots, but it was all limp. They really didn't do anything. So it looks like, it looks like um, Javi Gracia has got this team together. And I'm actually surprised that Cooper didn't get fired. It's they really want to fire the manager. Um, but I guess for Forrest, it's about those those games away from home. I mean, the games at home that they need. Uh, and there's almost like this acceptance that if it's an away game, we're not winning. So on Saturday, they've got Aston Villa. Their home games are United, Brighton, Southampton, and Arsenal. It's not looking good for the great and powerful trees. Uh, they are on a winless run of 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight in a row without a win, but they could have beat Wolves. Uh, they got lucky against City. They should they they drew against Everton. Th- these are games that they needed. They needed the Everton game, uh, and those draws really start to hurt. Um, you know, they were happy with that United draw, and that's when they were. That was probably one of their higher points in the season. But to not get any more results after that, they really couldn't kick on. The pasting they took to West Ham away was a little bit brutal. They just need to find a way to get some points. That that period in the middle of the season when they went on a three-game unbeaten run, defeating Palace and Tottenham scenes worlds away, uh, and they've just got to get it back together, find a win somewhere. Aston Villa is going to be tough. Their next four are brutal. Villa, United, Liverpool, Brighton, Brentford, uh, with home games against United and, and Brighton, going to be really tough. They've got to see if they can get something out of these games because the relegation battle is indeed a real battle to blood, thunder, death, and doom. We talked about Chelsea and the nil-nil, but I did want to give some, I did want to give a little bit more color to that game because I think I really just talked about Chelsea. Liverpool were bad. Uh, Klopp is just broken. Um, They did not muster anything. 0.3 XG for a Liverpool team is just, it's just wrong. Like it, it just can't happen. Nunez, Firmino, and Jota up front. No Salah in this one. I think, you know, uh, Klopp's trying to send a message, especially after the last game against City. But still, Fabinho and Henderson, is there just that there's no one else at this point? Uh, I don't know. What did Arthur Melo do? Did he kill someone? How come he hasn't been tried? Fab- uh, Fabio Cavallo had some burn early in the season and then vanished. Yet the midfield still not getting anywhere. They're not really doing anything. And at this point, like, can Klopp play different? Do they have to play a 4-3-3 with a high line all the time? Even though they don't press anymore or they're at least not effective in the press and can't win a midfield ball anymore? Like, I don't understand. Like, is it is it philosophical that Klopp thinks if I stand off and I don't do my Gengen press push style. Do I lose the team and the whole thing collapses? Like, I don't quite understand what the, what the plan is anymore or what, what's supposed to happen. Can he adapt? And now the same things were said about Guardiola in some of our down seasons where he said, I'm going to do the way I do it. Especially when I think about the, the uh, Fernandinho Otamendi years uh, when we, when, when we had, uh, Fernandinho in the back and he was just trying to defend and hang on. Uh, you know, that was the, that was the Lyon season when I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? We couldn't, couldn't do anything because our old defenders died. And then we get Diaz the following season and win two more titles in a row. But, um, I don't quite understand Klopp's reticence to change or at least play differently at all. Um, it's bizarre. Um, I don't know. It's a weird season. And then he's sort of saying things like if it was any other season, I would have gotten fired. Like I understand he's trying to be like, Hey, some of this is on me. I I, I think he's trying to deflect a little bit, but Liverpool are in a really, really weird state. And it's so surprising as a city fan who listen, I hate them, but I'm petrified when Mo Salah coming down the wing is scary. 
those balls from Trent are petrifying. But what I have noticed is Trent doesn't get in that three-quarter space anymore uh, about 20 yards from the halfway line to make those deep crosses anymore. Those are gone. They don't exist anymore because he's not there anymore because they can't win the ball high enough enough and he can't cheat to get up there because they're defending too deep. Everything is 10 yards too deep, a half a second too slow, and all this space and time, it's all connected and the whole thing not working, it just collapses. Um, you know, and 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 it's been, we've been talking about it all season, but it's always good to remind people that it's never one thing, right? Football is a completely a weak link sport. And if one thing breaks, especially in a complicated, complex system of pressing the way that Liverpool did, and you remove one key player from that group, and, and it was right, they needed to have Mane go. And then you lose the replacement in Diaz, uh, who I've forgotten. I mean, I, I loved him, but he's just not available anymore. The whole thing starts to break down. And um, Allison, I'm telling you, is like a plus 10 goalkeeper this year. It could have been worse for Liverpool this year. He's 14 goals better than Ederson. 14. Because Ederson's a minus four unexpected uh, saves. Allison is plus 10. In the game against um, Chelsea, he was plus one and a half just in that game. So it would have all those goals that he stopped from Havertz, from any other player, those were any other keeper, those are goals. But Allison has just been so fantastic. He's the best keeper in the league this year. Plus 11 on, what's the term? I want, I want to say it. Post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed. It's deep nerd, but once you get the concept of it, it, it makes sense. So it's like you take XG and you apply that to the shot and then you subtract it from, you know, what if the shots went in. And he's just the best goalkeeper by far this season. Liverpool should be worse, worse, worse this year. They're like, they have a regression in them to go further down than what they are now. And that's fucking scary. So Liverpool have a lot of work to do because Allison's been bailing their asses out. Anyway, got a little bit down a Liverpool hole, but I think, uh, I think Liverpool fans and fans of this show want my honesty, even if it's my own biased honesty, you know, I don't hate, I love, I don't like Liverpool, but I will say what I see. And they have been lucky to be where they are. And they're not even good. And they were lucky in the past. Sorry, Manny. They were lucky. They were lucky. They were lucky. Allison is fantastic. He saves their ass. Now he is fantastic every season. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. Mark it down. Um, then yesterday we had United 1-0 against Brentford. Really good performance by United. Solid. Didn't give up much. Rashford with the goal, you know, really looked strong. And then they were able to see it out and didn't really give up much to the great and powerful uh, Ivan Tony. A strong performance, a home team performance, a performance that they needed badly. Um, I think, you know, Rashford really needed that goal. Sabitzer, nicely done to get it onto the head. Um, but Fernandez, of course, pulling the strings, had probably his best game in a while, was really able to from deep dictate what they did created lots of shot opportunities for them to score uh, and a lot and a lot of work there. De Gea didn't even have to do much um, reduced Tony. Tony didn't have a shot on target. There was just one from shade late 
Kevin Shade coming off the bench late for Embuemo got one shot on target and just, you know, lucky, lucky for uh, United to not really have to worry. It was a really good shot. It was like a, a plus four, a point four shot. So actually the most difficult shot, the most valuable shot in the game came from Shade. <laughs> I know, I know. It's nerd. Don't worry about it. There's more nerd coming. Um, it, it, it can't really work, but anyway, uh, there was a conversation, actually, I want to take a step back. There was a conversation we had in the chat, in our group chat on WhatsApp that I said that United and Brentford were equal. Now we got, it was like, what do you mean? United are way better. Yes. United are way better. They have way more talent. They have way more money spent in the club. They play way more money. What that what I said was when I said that Brentford and United were equal was that their underlying numbers of the team in terms of what they've created in terms of goals scored and what they've prevented in terms of goals against is the same. What Brentford is doing is optimizing their opportunities based on the talent they have and United is optimizing based on the talent that they have. The difference is, is that United is playing a much more progressive possession-based style under Ten Hag, who's coming from the Dutch. And um, Thomas Frank has got this team all defense grafting for each other. They score goals on set pieces. So they're not equal. But in terms of the re of what happens on the pitch, they are creating a similar amount. And here's what I mean by that. So if I go to my deep nerd core hole... Uh, and I sort and well, let's do let's do traditional stats first. Um, Brentford has scored forty six goals, and United have scored forty two goals. Huh, weird. Um, United have given up thirty seven goals. Brentford have given up thirty eight goals. That's a goal difference of plus eight for Brentford and plus five for United. So just on scored and against. Brentford have been better, right? Now, how all those goals get made, I don't know. But just to give you a sense, right? Like, And then on the expected goals, which is the goals you would have expected to score based on the shots taken and where they were taken, by whom they were taken. United have an XG of 30. Of Sorry, their XG for goals is 42.4. And Brentford's is 41.5. So they're plus five on goals because they have Ivan Tony. And United for are, are right in line, but I think that Vout Veghorst, if they had a real striker, you'd be a plus. So good teams tend to outperform their goal XG because they have good strikers. Because remember, uh, XG is the average. So if you have a good striker, they're usually like a plus four, plus five on average, right? Like all the good ones are. I think Holland is like a plus 10 this season. So just to give you a sense. And, and Tony makes a difference for Brentford. He allows them to get the goals that they would expect. Now, on the defensive side, um, the XG for United is right in line. 36 goals against, goals allowed. So perfectly in line. For Brentford, it's also in line. They're on 38. So what I mean by those teams being the same is that in terms of what they've created, what you'd expect, expected goals for and against, they're equal. But how they get to those numbers is where the talent diverges. For Brentford, it is about grafting and getting the most out of that squad. And for United, it's being a progressive team that's playing in a offensive style that utilizes the high quality of the team. So they've been actually not great at it, to be fair. 
whereas Brentford are maximizing and probably getting close to the ceiling of what they can be, United are kind of have a lot of growth to get better and fill in the boots of the quality of the team. Okay. I hope that wasn't too weird. <laughs> um, so we got more games to go. What else do I got? Oh, oh man. West Ham five, West Ham won Newcastle five. This was a statement game by West Ham. They fucking killed. They killed. Newcastle killed West Ham. And West Ham, everything was their own fault. Keepers making mistake, guys making bad passes, everything just a mess. And then after a while, Newcastle just sat back and waited for West Ham, and they just hit them on the break with two late goals from Isak and Joe Linton. If Joe Linton scores two goals on you, you know you fucked up. That guy couldn't finish in a fucking whorehouse. Just a mess. So, yeah, he's like a, a, a 13-year-old boy just getting his feelings feeling. Guy can't finish at all. He's a mess. Uh, so for him to score two goals and Callum Wilson getting two goals and Isaac, I mean, just a great performance. Two braces by some of your old boys and Wilson and Joe Linton who were there before the takeover. And then Isak, your new boy who's going to really change the team. He's such a good player, Isak. He's linking things together. But this was an easy game for Newcastle. They just completely took apart uh, West Ham, who had early chances. Again, the story of their season. I'm going to say it again. Expected goals. Uh, yeah, uh, for them, um, my guy who was so, so great last season, Jared Bowen, just unable to put the team together. He did create the goal for Zuma on a set-piece cross uh, that, that was headed in, but it's been his lack of goals this season for Jared Bowen that has really hurt um, hurt West Ham a lot. So just to give you a sense, last season his expected goals was 12 and he scored 12. And this season his expected goal is seven and he's only scored four. So he's not, he's both not, and um, he's not scoring and he's not creating enough. So it's just not enough from him. Uh, they're not, they didn't get anything from Antonio this year and they've just had not had any luck. You know, West Ham lives on your set pieces and they live on one or two goals here or there, but to lose five, one at home, that is a fireable offense for the at risk and troubled uh, David Moyes, but he hangs on. It didn't seem like they were going to fire him. Um, they did get a nice win on the weekend against, I think it was, I think it was Southampton. They beat one nil, but for them, you know, they just have to survive and get through the season. I believe that um, Skamaka got sent home. Yes, they did beat Southampton uh, and they had that draw against Aston Villa. They're still in Europe, which is fucking bizarre they've got to go to gank uh in the conference league um and they're in the quarterfinals of that thing so again west ham fighting on two fronts it's never been it's never really been moise's best thing they had been a four they've been on a four game unbeaten run but only one of those games was in the premier league or two and so uh they're in a little bit of a of a of a dire strait right there so Strange there. I mean, I don't think they'll go down, but it is weird that uh, they are in the shape that they are in. Um, I mean, I really love where Newcastle are. They are back in third place, tied with United, but have a massive advantage in goal difference, which is the first tiebreaker of plus 26, while United, like I said, only plus 
five with seven losses. United only have three losses. They're the second joint best in terms of not losing. Uh, their problem is they have eight, they have 11 draws <laughs> to <laughs> that, that have really hurt their season. So if they can try get half of those uh, in, they'll be right, right there with city and, and Arsenal could be very, very interesting. So that was the midweek. That was all the fixtures that happened. What an amazing thing. So uh, in terms of this week, match week 30, oh my God, there's only eight games to go. Nine games to week 30. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight games to go. Uh, the big headliner games. I think a fun game, the early game, early kickoff is United versus Everton. Dyche bringing his boys, coming off a really nice uh, draw. Um and, uh, and fight from Everton. They just can't score goals. I just feel like they're in decent shape. Uh, they go early to United. They're going to stifle United. It's going to take something from United to break down Everton. Of course, they have more talent. Again, this is going to be another fist fight the way that United just had with Brentford. It's going to feel like, oh, God, can we just have an easy game uh, and a battle there? Then uh, 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 the, the noon kickoff, the 3 p.m. kickoffs, the traditional English game, for your goal zone friends, uh, Fulham and West Ham. Fulham, again, sliding now mid-table. I think we talked about them. Expected goals uh, aren't very good, so they're slowed down. They've lost Mitrovic for the rest of the season because of the push that he did to the referee. He got an eight-game ban for that, effectively out for the rest of the season, and he had been carrying their goal scoring. They were living on the power of Paulinha, but I think that team is getting not found out, but it did. Yes, they 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 got the points they got, regardless of whether they deserve them or not, on some luck and some good work. And so they're a little bit weaker. I, I think I like West Ham in this game uh, away uh, at Fulham. Should be something that I think West Ham can get something from. Uh, Villa versus Forest. We talked about Forest. We talked about Villa away from home. I don't like Forest at all, especially against this Villa team who are. Scoring goals for fun. Ollie Watkins scoring goals every week. He scored again, like I talked about in that uh, earlier game against Leicester City. Villa at home now just two points behind Brighton and six points behind Tottenham. Tottenham better watch their back. Villa is coming for you. They have a chance at Europe, a good chance, a very good chance. That's a good Villa side. I think if you remember way back when, um, Mike and I liked Villa. We liked the side. We liked Buendia. We liked Watkins. We liked what they were doing. Uh, and it was Gerard who who yacked it. And now that they have Unai Emery, they're playing much, much, much better. Uh, the great and powerful Leicester City, a six-pointer. We're going to have six-pointers all the time. Uh, are at home uh, versus Bournemouth with no coach. I don't like where Leicester are right now. They didn't put in a great performance against Villa. Uh, Adam Sandler, Sadler, is not going to have too much to say there. They need to get a manager in sooner rather than later or their season is going to slip away. Uh, they can't stop anybody. They don't have a goalkeeper. They have Stokes, central defender, who's uh, built like a lurch, uh, and Vout Weiss, who seems to have an error in him in every game. Uh, and Didi used to be that shielding midfielder now he seems to make a mistake every week he gave up a goal on a pass across that's who gave up that's who that's who provided the ball to uh triore on the amazing wonder goal that gave villa the win he seems to make a mistake every week they need telemans there's no vardy there's no heart and soul with schmeichel 
all the guys from the 15 team are all gone and they're just not getting it done. I like Bournemouth in this game to get something, to get something out of that. Uh, and then uh, the, the next game would be Brentford versus Newcastle. Brentford at home, a different beast than Newcastle. This has draw written all over it. Brentford are going to claw, scratch, and fight Newcastle. This will be probably the most physical game you'll see because both these teams are go at it. It's going to be tough. The battle's going to be in the midfield between Willick and Linton and Bruno, Bruno Gamarash and Norgard and Velt. All those guys for Brentford are just going to go at it. And whoever can win that midfield battle for Brentford to get their, their strikers up front will bring victory for their team. I like Brentford at home. Good, good result. You'll expect Newcastle will have stayed in London uh, for this game because Newcastle is a little bit further away. So we'll see what's there. And then Chelsea under Frank Lampard in his first game. Get Wolves under Lopetegui. Wolves sitting a little, a little pretty. They've got a one-point lead against the pack. Um, I like Chelsea in this game. I think there'll be a vibes bounce. Mason Mount will dust off his boots and go play for Chelsea. Still have to figure out who Kai Havertz is sleeping with, who he has pictures of. He should not be playing striker ever again. Maybe Aubameyang comes in. Maybe they change things up. We don't know what Frank's going to do. He's a madman. He's lunatic. Uh, I like I like um, I like Chelsea in this game just from talent alone, not because I think Frank's going to do anything weird. He's just got a better team and uh, will do something. By the way, Lopetegui would be a good coach for Chelsea. Any of these coaches would be a good coach for Chelsea. It's weird. I don't know what the fuck Chelsea, Chelsea are a mess. By the way, bringing in Frank Lampard, I sort of thought it was a good thing, but only for the sake of just like let's take the temperature down and figure out what the fuck's going on. Because right now, it's a complete and total shit show. The late game on Saturday. Sorry, not the late game. There's two games. Oh, we're having a big schedule. So uh, is Tottenham against Brighton. I don't know what I'm going to get from Spurs at this point. Um, we still don't have a coach. It's still going to be Stinelli St- and, um, and, and the other dude, I can't remember his name. Who's got a cracked skull? <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, I just like what I see from uh from Brighton. I don't see any reason why Tottenham will win this game. Brighton are better than they are by a lot, and I think they'll get lit up, honestly. Deserby will find a way to expose Eric Dyer and get them smoked. We'll keep going straight, straight, straight down the line. A city versus Southampton. On paper, this looks like an easy game. But anytime you have to go to Southampton, fucking weird shit happens. If City lose this game, the season's over. It could be a walkthrough. I'll probably be the only person who's watching this game. But uh, City versus Southampton, I'm sh- I think City are probably like plus 1,000 uh, favorites. So a little bit weird there. Then Sunday, 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 we have two big, big games. Ellen Road leads at home versus Crystal Palace. Roy Revolution is back. Uh, Roy's going to make this a draw. <laughs> This has got draw written all over it. Uh, Leeds come off a good game, a good win against Forest, but Palace are more talented and have a strong coach, whereas Leeds have played in midweek. I got to think they got some dead legs, heavy legs. Palace will get a draw here. They'd love to win. If they win, they're completely safe. That's my take on this. Uh, if they get a win, they're safe. And then I didn't even, I don't know why. I should have just led with the whole thing. Liverpool versus Arsenal. We'll end it with Liverpool versus Arsenal. Uh, a massive game. A massive, massive game for Arsenal. 
For Liverpool, like we just talked about, they're just trying to get through the string. But Liverpool at Anfield with something on the game. The last time they had a home game like this, they did really well. Um, sorry, did they? I, I, I'm getting I'm getting games confused. I've been watching so much football, I don't even remember. I just have to look. I want to look very quickly at some of the results. So the last, yeah. The United game was the last home game. All right, okay. They haven't been at home for a while. Okay, got it, got it, got it. The last home game against a big team was against United, where they completely pasted them, and that was 7-0. And we thought they got off the schneid. And then, of course, they go they go ahead and lose two in a row and lose to Bournemouth. And then City might mop the floor with them. So they're finally at home. Their schedule in the back half of the season, lots and lots of home games for, Arsenal, for Liverpool. The first one being this home game versus Arsenal. Um... If Liverpool want to do anything, which I don't think they can, they're not good enough, they have to beat Arsenal. If we want to have a league title, <laughs> Liverpool have to beat Arsenal. I don't want to say this out loud, but I'm not going to be rooting. There'll be shades of 1989, I think, coming through this game. Uh, famously, when Liverpool, when Arsenal went up to Anfield and won the league on the last day of the season. There's an amazing documentary about it. It's called like 89 or something really good. I recommend it. It was on Netflix or something. Uh, watch that one. Um, Arsenal have not won at Anfield in eons. It's going to be tough. Liverpool will show up in this game. I expect them to. It's really going to be about the first 20 minutes is where Liverpool are going to have a shot. Um, the games at Anfield, let's see the last. Oh, man, this is all backwards. I I have such a shit time. Let me see. Liverpool, what's this? Oh, I don't know what's happening. Anyway, uh, oh, uh, all matches. Here we go. Uh, oh, all matches. I don't want all matches. Here we go. Uh, Arsenal have not won at Anfield. At Anfield. At Anfield. Arsenal have not won at Anfield in, in almost a decade, at least. It's been a really, really long time. Uh, Anfield, Anfield. No, I'm just going through a list. I know this is very exciting podcasting. Nothing here. So Arsenal basically have not won at Anfield in a very long time. I don't know when it was. Uh, I'd have to really get a, a better sense of it. Uh... Arsenal at Anfield. Oh, that's 1919. That one doesn't really help. 1927. Yeah, that, these. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Uh, no big deal. Uh, but I think the big thing to take away from for this game is if Liver, if Arsenal win this game, they've won the league. Uh, this there's only like three games left or three or four games that on paper look like Arsenal should have a hard time with. It's this game, City away and Newcastle away. Um, and really, that's it. Arsenal, I mean, and granted, you know, leagues aren't won or lost based on the big games. Every game counts, but it feels like if this young Arsenal team that is going on a league charge is going to win the league, it is going to be... a Winning at Anfield will be a massive 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 result i mean a just monumental 
big game. Now, I think Arsenal do have some tough games. They have Liverpool away, West Ham away, Southampton at home. That's easy. City away midweek. Chelsea at home. That'll be tough. Newcastle away, the toughest. Brighton at home, a fight. Nottingham Forest away might be a time to save their season. And then their last game of the season is Wolves at home. So no cakewalks, but they've been great all season. An incredible, incredible season for them. Uh, They don't have any other obligations. It's just the league. These are their last eight games. This is all they've got. No Europa, no FA Cup. They go week on week on week and try and win the league. Uh, They have every opportunity to do it. I've said it before. If they don't, it's a yak job. Um, They just have to keep going. They can lose one game, one game, and they have to win everything else, Uh, a draw, anything. Now, City have to match them, but Arsenal, this is their moment. If they want to win the league, they've got to win this game, and then the narrative really shifts into, oh, my God, Arsenal are going to win the league. I know it's ridiculous, and you do it every week, but it's it's just the nature of how – uh, Premier League football is covered. <laughs> we just do it this way. Um, Liverpool, of course, are there for the spoiler. Uh, they should have the voices of 1989 in their heads. Stop George Graham's team. Uh, please make it stop. Uh, you know, famously in Fever Pitch, that's the game that they win. Uh, the movie came out in 1989. So there's a lot of funny little uh, parallels and funny little things uh, about that league winning team. Lee Dixon in that team, famously of NBCS, NBC Sports, who does their games here in the U.S. So big games. Uh, I'm going to stop talking. I hope I didn't forget anything. I hope I didn't forget anyone. I feel like I went through every possible storyline. Some things probably not in the best order, but that's how we do the show. Uh, I feel really happy. Thanks, everybody, for the show. And that's that. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please rate and review the show. Bye.